Yes, we're going back to the last chapter of Habakkuk. He said it's always difficult to find, but look at the index if you can't find it. Never worry about whether you can find it or not. Look it up in the index. Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, for those who weren't here last week, we read Habakkuk chapter 3. I don't want to read it all again. We read the first few verses. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. And that's all we read. But we read some other verses later on. We've been looking at Habakkuk in the last few weeks. But uh, he finishes off here with a psalm. It's, it's a psalm, this last uh, chapter, basically. And it was made in praise to God. We, had, we read that Habakkuk was afraid and prayed that in the judgment that was coming, in Habakkuk, God had said he was going to come and judge Israel for their sins. And he was going to allow the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to come and attack. And this worried Habakkuk because he was concerned, he kept sort of discussing it with God and saying, how are you permitting these, this evil nation to come and attack Israel, your chosen people? God said they were going to come. And in the midst of that, then Habakkuk made this psalm and he prayed. He said, this wrath is coming, but in your wrath, O oh God, remember mercy. Remember mercy. Isn't that wonderful? We are all dependent upon the mercy of God. And we saw, we saw that the psalmist and the apostle Paul had praised God for his mercy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. We are all dependent upon the mercy of God. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Deal with thy servant according to thy mercy, and teach me thy statutes. Lord, deal with me according to your mercy. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and 15 and 16, Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. We'll talk about that in a minute. Howbeit, howbeit, for this cause, for this cause, I obtained mercy. For that in me at first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, all mercy, for a pattern to them which should follow hereafter to believe on him to everlasting life. Paul the Apostle said he was the chief of sinners, and for that reason, he obtained mercy. We need God's mercy. We have nothing good within ourselves. We have nothing good within ourselves. In, in Isaiah, it says in chapter 64, verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, all the good within us, in God's sight, are as filthy rags. There's nothing in us that pleases God until we come to him for salvation. And then he places within us his spirit. And he clothes us with his 
robe of righteousness and God sees when he looks down then he sees Christ's righteousness in us but of ourselves we are nothing but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind has taken us away away from God our sins and iniquities separate us from God goes on to Romans there is none righteous no not one there is none that doeth good you know the world's psychiatrists would tell us that we have self esteem and, and that is the thing we should Rosemary was talking to a chap the other day and he we're talking about writing a book he's, he's a journalist and he said uh, well the only thing I can trust is myself number one he says that's the thing I do I trust myself Rosemary said no that's number two the first thing you can trust the first person you trust is God and he agreed <laughs> which was good you know we were laughing last week there's an advertisement for makeup or something on television and it ends up by saying you're worth it. You know, spoil yourself because you're, you're worth it. Not worth anything. We're worthless in God's sight. But Paul says here, he obtained mercy. Why did he obtain mercy? Because he was worth it. No. He obtained mercy, he says, because he realized he was the chief of sinners. He was humble in God's sight. And when he humbled himself in God's sight and realized his situation... God came in mercy and saved him. And you know, we were looking at this a few weeks ago. As Paul got older, he, his opinion of himself got less. You know, the, the John the Baptist had said that, he said, I must, I must decrease, but he must increase. He was telling about Jesus coming and he said, I've got to get less. I've got to decrease and he has to increase. And that's the way it should be with us. As we grow in our Christian life, Christ should get more and more to the front, and I should get less and less. Paul, when he, he wrote that in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, he started off by saying, I am the least of the apostles. That's I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he was recognized and he was an apostle called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. But he said, although I'm an apostle, I'm the least of the apostles. Which is pretty good, really. He was an apostle, at least. But then he went a little bit further in Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 8. He says, unto me, who am the least of all the saints... Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? He said, I am the least of the saints. Looking around all the other church members, he said, well, they're pretty good. I'm the least of those. But he says, I'm in there a little bit. And then he comes to this verse we've just read. He looked around and he saw the world and he says, I'm the chief of sinners. As he grew older in the Christian life, he realized he was worth less. But it was Christ in him, the hope of glory. That's why he obtained mercy. He was humble. He humbled himself. 
What did the Lord say about this present day promotion of self-esteem? Here's what he said. In Luke 9:48, And said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whomsoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. He that puts himself at the bottom, God will then raise him up. We don't promote ourselves. Mark 10, 43. But so shall it be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whomsoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. That's the way it works in the Christian life and in the church. That's the way it should work. But those who wants to be the chief has to be the servant. It's a bit different from the way the world works it out. He says, for even the Son of Man came to minister. Not to be ministered unto. When Jesus came, he didn't come expecting men to minister to him. But to be the one who would do the ministry. And to give his life a ransom for all. Now that is being the, the servant, isn't it? To give your life a ransom for all. And there's, no, there's no place for self-promotion in the Christian life. You know, how did Paul, I was thinking about this last night, I was getting away from Habakkuk with this, but I, th I think it's important. How did Paul and the other apostles and the church people in his day view themselves? Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. He was called to be an apostle, but he was a servant of Jesus Christ Romans 16.1 talking about somebody else in the church he says I commend unto you Phoebe our sister which is a servant of the church oh he wasn't saying this. I'm commending this. this this is a lovely Christian sister he says I'm commending her to you she's the chief in the oh no she was a servant of the church Colossians 4.12 Epaphras, which is one of you, a leader in the church, no, a servant of Christ, a servant of Christ, and he saluted you. James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. Well, now, if somebody was going to push himself forward a little bit, I would have thought James would have been one of the ones. What does he say? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant. God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you look and see what servant means, it starts off meaning a slave. One who gives himself to up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. But this is the one I liked. Listen to this. Here's what that word servant, when they call themselves servants of Jesus Christ, here's what it means. One devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Did you get that? One devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. Is that the way we look at ourselves in relation to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I disregard my own interests 
because of my devotion to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus told a parable in Luke 17. He, he, I read it. But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, immediately when he comes in, by and by is one of the words which has changed since the writing of the authorised version. I think it doesn't mean by and by, sometime later on it means immediately when he comes in. Will you, when he comes in from the field, say, go and sit down to meet. Go and have a meal. You've worked hard all day. Will you not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup? You don't say to the servant, ah, oh, you've had a hard time. Go on in there and have a rest and get yourself something to eat. This was the story Jesus was telling. He says, no. You say to him, right, you've come in, get me my meal. And serve me till I have eaten and drunken. And afterwards you shall eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Does he thank him? I trow I tr not. No, he says, I, 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 there's no doubt about it. He doesn't do that. So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded of you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. It's an interesting parable, isn't it? God expects us, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, to be servants. One devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. I must decrease and he must increase. That's what John the Baptist said when he set out on his ministry. What Jesus was saying was that diligence is highly proper and reasonable in doing the work of the Lord. But humility is necessary. We can't promote ourselves. Lest we then boast about what we have done and our performances. And we get our rewards here on earth. If we do that. But we are building for a reward in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt. Lay where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be. That's what Jesus said. And if we're building up our treasures and our, our praise and all down here, well, that's okay. You won't be getting them in heaven. Not much room for spurious self-esteem here. We are sinners who have obtained God's mercy through Jesus Christ. All the love that drew salvation's plan, all the grace that brought it down to man, all the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Listen, mercy there was grace, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. At Calvary. But let's move on. Let's look just at a few verses in this chapter uh, 3. Verse 4. He had a vision of God. And the, we, we saw last week that he, he, in verse uh, 3 he's referring back to the time when the, the law was given on Mount Sinai. And the thunderings and the, the, the earthquakes and the lightnings and the smoke terrified the children of Israel. But then they said to Moses, 
that you speak to God, we're afraid. They moved away and they wanted Moses to speak to God. They needed a mediator between them and God. But if you go into Hebrews, it says, We're not come to a mountain that's smoking and burning and frightful. We come to Jesus Christ, the one who is the mediator between God and man. There's no fear when we come through Jesus Christ. And it's, he explains it here. He says his brightness was as the light. He had horns, and that's a figure of power. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there in his hands was the hiding of his power. It could read something like this. God's brightness was as the light, and the power was demonstrated in his hands. This light, this power of God. We referred to John 1 earlier on, didn't we? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was there anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The brightness of God came into this world. The light of the world is Jesus, and He came into the world to, to, to lighten men's darkness. The brightness came into the world and those of us who trust him for salvation we become lights he says ye are the light of the world pointing men to Jesus Christ he came as the light of the world and he came to save and keep those who put their faith and trust in him who place their lives into his hand that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to place our lives totally and completely into his hand. And here's what, if we do that, here's what he promised. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. His hand, which was a symbol of power in Habakkuk. He says, no man shall pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man shall pluck them out of my father's hand. We're in the hand of Jesus and we're in the hand of God. Have we yielded our lives completely into his hands? And then in verse 6 it says another thing. At the end... And he gives a very vivid description of the glory of God in this chapter. But in verse 6 it says, God's ways are everlasting. His ways are everlasting. Psalm 90, the psalmist had the same idea. He said, before the mountains were brought forth, or even had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Psalm 93 Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. And you know Jesus reinforced this. When he was talking to the leaders in his day. In John 8.58 he said. Verily, verily I say unto you. Before Abraham was. I am. That was the name God gave to, to Moses at the burning bush. He said I am. Moses had, had seen this vision of the burning bush 
and he had wondered uh, what he would say to, to Pharaoh and, and the Israelites. And he, he couldn't very well say, they said, who, who sent you? Well, I, I, some voice came out of the burning bush. No, he said, no. You have to tell them, I am. The one that is. I am. And Jesus said the same thing. Before Abraham was, I am. Now the Jews knew what he was talking about. The Jews knew exactly what he was talking about. They, they took up stones to, to stone him. Because he had made himself equal to God. And Habakkuk says the same thing. Your ways are everlasting. Revelation 11.17 We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Look at our motto. You know our motto for this year. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Everlasting. Thou art, you've said it so many times, thou art the everlasting word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. And Habakkuk then, and the rest of this chapter, goes on in, 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 in poetic language to extol the wonders and the ways of God as he had led the children of Israel on their journeys through the wilderness. He talks about the, the sun standing still on Joshua uh, uh, and, and in, in those passages. But let's go on to verse 16. And we read from verse 16. When I heard, my belly trembled, my, liver, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up upon the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labour of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. A pretty disastrous description that. The fig tree had given up, didn't blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The vines had shriveled up. The labor of the olive shall fail. No olive oil. The fields shall lead, yield no meat. The, the cattle, obviously. The flock shall be cut down from the field. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. We thought the foot and mouth disease was bad. But this was a worse situation they were facing. But he says, although that happens, although all things, those things happen, what was his answer going to be? He had learned from meditating on what God was going to do to his people, the Israelites. Things were going to be bad. But he says, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon high places. But let's look 
although things were going to be judged by God, although things were going to be bad, what was his answer? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Is this God that he's talking about the God of your salvation? Have we put ourselves into his hands? Have we yielded to him in humility? Can I truly trust this God with my life? If you have, then can you say with this man who wrote the psalm, Habakkuk, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation, the Lord God is my strength. We may have difficulties, your life may seem to be going nowhere. You may be in an apparently disastrous situation. Things haven't worked out exactly as you thought. Can you say, I will trust in the God of my salvation? He is my strength. Am I in a situation where I have to tread warily, careful not to put a foot wrong for fear of man? You know, we talk about walking on eggs. Situation where, oh, I'm going to have to walk on eggs in this situation. What does he say? God will make my feet like hinds feet. Ever see a, a, a door, a deer, running along on, on, on rocky ground? No problem to it. You make me to walk upon high places. Do you feel down in the dumps? God will make you walk on high places. He'll bring you up and you'll walk on high places and you'll walk without falling. He'll make your feet like hinds feet. That's a quotation from 2 Samuel 23, 33 and 34. God is my strength and power. He maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet. And setteth me upon my high places. You know, we sung, uh, we, we have sung that hymn. Uh, Down in the valley with my Saviour I would go. Where the flowers are blooming and the sweet waters flow. Everywhere he leads me, I would follow, follow on, walking in his footsteps till the crown be won. Down in the valley, with my Saviour I would go, where the storms are sweeping and the dark waters flow. With his hand to guide me, I will never, never fear. Danger cannot fright me if my Lord is near. Down in the valley or upon the mountain steep, Close beside my Saviour would my soul ever keep. He will lead me safely in the path that he has trod. Up to where they gather on the hills of God. Follow, follow. I would follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere. I would follow on. Follow, follow. I would follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me. I would follow on. And if you do. He'll give you feet like hinds feet. And you'll walk on the high places. 